I encourage you, find Jonah. And um, I know last week um, it was kind of a, it's in kind of a foreign section for many of us in the Bible, because um, we, we kind of avoid this whole section called the Old Testament, unless it's in the Psalms, and that's really easy because it's right smack dab in the middle, you know. So uh, nobody be ashamed that if you need to find the table of contents up in front and find Jonah, use it. If not, the pew Bibles that we provided is 774, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Jonah, so that's kind of the neighborhood that you're looking for. I'm going to try every week to read through the whole book of Jonah because I think it's good for context that we uh, hear it and it's short enough that we can enjoy a good story. Is this story about uh, the whale? Thank you, thank you. We went over that last week. Let's hopefully remember that this week. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh the great city, and call out against it, for their, their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish to, from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to, their, to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, the God will give us a thought to us that we might, may not perish. And they said to one another, Come. Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly fearful and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then the Lord said to him, or they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea grew all, grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but, he could, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I cry out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and put and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade for his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it, would, so that it withered. When the sun rose, 
God appointed a scorching east wind, and it, the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you do not, did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and per- perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. So this is our second week in, in Jonah, and last week I tried to build a foundation for you so that we can be, uh, be effective in this sermon series, to understand what really went on. So if you're, you're new, you weren't here last week, just a, a very brief um, historical background. Jonah was uh, a prophet who lived just some 800 years before Jesus, and he, he was living during a time where Israel was extremely, extremely doing well. They were strong economically, and they, they were doing strong politically. But the nation was woefully sinful, terribly sinful. And of course, the children of Israel were not nearly as wicked as the people that Jonah was asked I also described for you the, the Jewish tradition during that day of once a year during the, the time of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the people would come, day, come together for midday reading of Scripture and they would read through the entire book of Jonah. And at the end, in a collective prayer and in a collective way, they would respond by saying, we are Jonah. So I've been sitting in that for this week and... Uh, If you were here on Wednesday night, you even heard Nathan kind of struggling with that thing of saying, okay, I am Jonah? What what does that even mean that we are Jonah? We are like Jonah. And so I I kind of had to struggle through that this week, especially as we are going to be sitting in these first three verses this morning where Jonah is hearing the word of the Lord. What does it mean for us, you and me, together corporately and individually to be like Jonah? So in these four short chapters, what do we see that might make us like Jonah? Well, first we see that God speaks and man hears and man understands. And man also knows that God will do what he says he will do. Man also does the exact opposite and tries to overpower God's will by doing what? Running in the opposite direction. Man quickly realizes that he is absolutely screwed while he's out in the middle of this, this ocean trying to escape the presence of the Lord but still does not immediately admit that he has done any kind of wrong. Man is taken to the lowest depths where he finally repents man then with very little effort after being thrown up by a fish does what god says the man sees that god does what he said he would do and man pouts because god did not do it his way god speaks puts man in his place yep 
I'm Jonah. That is the way that we are. I'm Jonah. And if you look at Jonah, Jonah really is not heroic in any kind of way, is he? Man is always the secondary character in every Bible story, in this whole narrative. This whole book is about God. And we can see that clearly. This, this week I, I kind of did my dotting system and highlighting system throughout this, this whole book. The fish is mentioned just four times. Four times. The city is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. But God by name is mentioned 38 times. Not to mention the prayer where God is referred to. God is the central character, the central point of this entire story. Jonah is not the hero of the story. God is the hero. This book is about God and how great his heart is towards prodigal sons and prodigal daughters who are constantly running away from him. God never gave up on Jonah. Not even when he ran away. Not when he sits under the vine and he pouts. God is a God who pursues his people. God is the main character of all the stories of the Bible. Even the Old Testament. Noah is not heroic. God is. Abraham is not heroic. God is. Moses is not heroic. Even though he parted the Red Seas, God was the used Noah, uh, Moses as the instrument to part the Red Seas. God is the main character. God is the hero of this entire book. But the reality is, I want to be the hero. I want to be the hero. I want to be the hero in my own Christian walk. I, will, I pretend that all the time. And I'm sure that you might even see glimpses, glimpses of that if you know me personally. Heroes don't like to show their weaknesses, right? Heroes are never afraid. Heroes are always courageous. Heroes always have a monologue going on. I pretend to be that heroic Christian who, who listens to God every time that he speaks to me. That I'm always faithfully obeying everything that God says to me. I, I'm, I'm that Christian guy, that church guy who seems to be, a, that studies like an absolute nut so that I can present these transformative, deep, academic ser sermons. And I always appear to do, and I call you to do what God says that you should be doing. And I want people to think that I am a hero. And we're always very good at making ourselves a hero of the story. And making God kind of the supporting character. We would like the, the marquee of the theater to read, The Story of Paul's Life. Also storing Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Making ourselves a hero means that, honestly, that we have forgotten the gospel. The gospel tells us that we are anything but heroic. We are the villains. We are evil. We are wicked. We are depraved. We desire that which is not from God. We are driven by our own lusts, the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh. We're driven by pride. And God is the hero because only a hero could love someone like me, someone like you, and save someone like Jonah. God is the hero. And we've got to be real that we are Jonah. Non-Christians are supposed to ignore God's word, right? 
until, they, until God moves in their heart, when he turns that which is foolish into truth and just beauty. But I'm a Christian, like Jonah. I'm the church guy, the Christian, the believer who runs from God, who disobeys God, who in some ways is constantly trying to make my will, my desires, overpower God's will. So in this story, God is the hero. God is at the beginning of, and at the end of the story because it's all about God's mercy. And I've heard it say that God is a God of second chances. And I love that, that warm, spiritual, fuzzy, kind of Christian spiritual stuff. And I like to believe that God is the God of mercy and grace because He is. Quite simply, God does not give me what I deserve because I deserve death. You deserve death. And he blesses me with that which I do not deserve. He gives me life and life abundantly and life eternally. Our stories, your stories, are about what God has done and what we could not ever do. We're Jonah. We are those people that God uses in spite of our imperfections. We are those people through whom God is glorified even when we disobey. We are those people that God saves and uses even when he puts us into situations that we are to be called to be faithful and we disobey and run. And we are those people that God still loves. So we come to Jonah 1, 1. And it says, the word of the Lord comes, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So God's word is coming. This wasn't the first time that God spoke to Jonah. In fact, he was quite familiar with the, the voice of God speaking to him. This wasn't the only time. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 14, you will find that Jonah is quite familiar. He's a prophet of God. He hears God. He speaks for God. He is that organ, that mouthpiece for God. Jonah knew God's voice quite well. And sometimes in our Christian circles, I, I hear people say, man, I wish that God would just speak clearly about this situation. Man, you know what? My situation is unique, and I wish that God would just direct me here. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Man, I just wish that this would be clear. I wish I would get a, you know, this kind of direct connection with God that he would just speak like the prophets and I'd know the will of God, the desire. Sometimes I think we have a misunderstanding about how these prophets in their relationship with God was like. Sometimes we think when we talk about these prophets that God was having this nonstop phone conversation or this nonstop texting conversation, kind of like a, a high schooler who gets unlimited texting. That God is constantly just texting and giving you information all the time, nonstop. But I believe that God spoke in what I would describe as moments of grace. Moments of grace. And the truth is that we have that as well. The beauty of this all, as being New Testament believers, we have consistent moments of grace. We have His Word. We have his desires. He has given this for 
our edification, for our growth in holiness. So when you hear somebody say, man, I, I wish God would just lead me or tell me what to do, you need to say, when's the last time you've been in the Word? But People often say, but I, I just want to hear it. What is the purpose of the body of Christ? We are together for, to, to encourage one another and we, we speak the words of truth, to, to be under the preaching of the Word. To have faithful preaching is critical to the life of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we also have the leading of the guiding of the Holy Spirit who never contradicts anything that is in Scripture. But we have a very good way of doing what? We've become skilled at turning down the voice of the Holy Spirit and turning up the noise of our world so that we, we can't seem to hear what He is leading us to. God still speaks. And it's clear. God still speaks. And when God speaks, we get here in verse 2, God says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Go to Nineveh. We have an awesome, unpredictable God. Here, asking Jonah to go to Nineveh would be like asking some prominent Christian leader to drop everything, drop all your church ministry, everything that you have been paid and called to do. And I want you to go to the capital city of any city in the Islamic world, and I want you to preach the gospel and call them to repentance. Crazy talk. We, we, we get news feeds of you do that if you are even privately in your own home in some of these Islamic worlds and you are just worshiping Jesus, you can be beheaded. And this is what God is calling him to do. This is a big request. Go, do this crazy, ridiculous thing. It's kind of like Noah. God saying, listen, I know that it hasn't ever rained like this before. Go build a boat bigger than a football field. Or, hey, Abraham, you know what? I want you to kill the son that I have promised to you and that you will see many, many, many generations. Go kill him. Crazy talk. Oh, hey, Moses, listen, I want you to go back to Egypt. You know the place where you're wanted for murder? I want you to go back to Egypt and tell the most powerful man alive on the planet to let my people go. I want you to do that. Or, hey, Mary, I know you're a virgin. I know you're engaged to be married, but you are going to have a baby, and he's going to be the son of God. Ananias. Yeah, I, I know. I know Saul is, is that guy that is out there killing Christians. He is murdering Christians. He is breathing murderous threats underneath his breath. He is just zealous. I know. I want you to go pray with him. Then on top of that, Jonah was to call out. And that was a lot to ask then in that place. It's, and it's a lot to ask now. 
Many liberal theologians today have blurred the lines of truth so much that good and bad are just kind of labels that we apply to this and that. There is no longer an authoritative truth to which we appeal to in dispute. God's word is just basically dismissed and outdated and irrelevant. And and men and women can kind of let their own feelings determine truth. But we have Jonah who is calling out, repent, repent. It's It's a clear, go, instead of going this direction, go this direction. Everything bad, everything good. This is clear, black and white. And sometimes we, even in the church, sometimes we call out the bad things, the wrong things. We pick the wrong battles and we fight as a church sometimes. There are closed-handed things and there are open-handed things. But when he was calling out, he was clear, clear, turn to the Lord. And on top of that, God was calling him to go to Nineveh. To give up all of his comforts. Everything. Everything in Jonah told him that this is wrong. Jonah was a prophet. What was considered to be kind of the golden age in the northern part of the kingdom. Under Jeroboam II, Israel saw a tremendous growth economically, politically. They also, their uh, geographic Uh, boundaries grew larger and larger they were doing great and more than likely Jonah was involved in this recovery of Israel Jeroboam II was one of the most powerful monarchs politically and economically he was known also for his sinfulness but also for the increase of these boundaries and pushing the Syrians out of Damascus and Jonah is identified as a prophet speaking for the Lord in this time and so he was a very patriotic man and he had a very popular ministry during this time of growth and he was enjoying probably a great amount of approval from the king and the people. And now he was called to give this all up. Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Why didn't he listen at this time to the word of the Lord? And it's even a question for us. How many ways do we convince ourselves that it is okay for us to not listen and obey to God's word? Jonah probably had a list of a million reasons why he shouldn't do what God had asked him to do. Now I realize that many of us, no, probably all of us, have never been asked to go to Nineveh or to preach to Muslims. But what has God asked you to do? Where has God called you to be faithful and obedient? What part of God's word is in your face and confronting you even today? And maybe it's not even confronting you today, but it has confronted you in the past and you have so excused it that today it has caused you to be numb and callous. Whatever you're not doing and whatever you're not willing to do, wherever you're not willing to follow God's word, I'm sure that you can find a million ways to justify it, right? We're good at that. Jonah was too. Maybe he ran... Because it was just too hard. They'd probably laugh at me, and it's difficult. My self-worth, my self-esteem would be, would be demolished. It's just too hard. 
Maybe he ran because it was too dangerous. They will probably kill me. Maybe he ran because he just didn't want want to to have them repent. Because he knows God. He knows that God will do what he says he will do. He knows that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding with love. And maybe he had a bad case of, I know better than you, God. So where is your Nineveh? Your Nineveh is not the worst place that you can imagine going. Some of you are going, oh man, I, I really don't want to go to Africa. I would hate to go over there. You know, Joliet's kind of rough. Let's not even go over there. Bourbon A, you know, Bourbon A is kind of rough. You know, I, we don't mark them. That, that's really kind of a Nineveh area for me. I really want to stay away from that. But it is the place where God has asked you to go and you just don't want to go. And let's be more specific. Who do you not want to love? Aren't we all recipients of God's mercy and love and grace? I don't think that we truly understand this 100% of the time. I know I don't. If we can understand the great leveling that the gospel is, the great leveling, we are totally undeserving of anything that God has done. It just levels everything. There, no one deserves it. No one. And the gospel just levels it, and God says, boom, I love you. None of us deserve it. If we would understand the great leveling that is the gospel, then perhaps we can begin to recognize those people whom we deem are unworthy and unworthy of such mercy and say, Lord, I will go. We're Jonah because often we love who we want to, right? We love the easy ones. We love the ones that we can manage and and kind of program towards a better health, a better life, and we, we love those people. We love those who are in our inner circles. God loves all peoples, not just the ones that we love. Through Jonah, we hear God's warning about limiting our love and our sympathies. And we're warned not to just give it to those fellow human beings that we, we like. Verse 3, we, we see Jonah doing something that I think we're all pretty infamous for. Jonah rose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went, to, went on, board to go, on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He ran and he ran far. There, is, there was no pause. There was no complaint. There were no questions. There was no debate. There was no dialogue. Jonah reacts and he runs you don't hear anything going on do you he hears the word of the lord jonah exit stage left and he goes and the amazing thing to me here is that god doesn't say anything god lets him run god lets him run he doesn't lecture him he doesn't argue with him he doesn't even stop him he doesn't put up a wall he doesn't sink the ship right there in the harbor god lets him go god watches as jonah runs Jonah does not only flee 
from going several days through the desert to get to Joppa, he fled by sea in the opposite direction. He boarded a ship in Joppa, and this ship was bound for Tarshish, one of the hardest words to say. So he was bound for this place, and where is it? It is on the southern tip of Spain. And some of us, when we kind of look at those Bible maps, we go, oh, that's not that far. 2,500 miles. For us, I did a little uh, Google map thing. 2,500 miles from New Lenox, Illinois would put us about, we'd have to go three hours into the Pacific Ocean. Three hours into the Pacific Ocean from here. That's how far he was planning on running. It wasn't just a day trip away. He was going 2,500 miles. 2,500. And on top of that, does he really think that he can get away from the presence of God? Listen, listen to Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is in the Jewish world, kind of the deepest, deepest place, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So no matter where I go, not only are you there, but you're holding me and supporting me. If I say, listen to this, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me shall be night. So even in the darkest, darkest place, the psalmist says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So in other words, in the moment of my disobedience, in the moment of your disobedience, God will often let us run. And he will sometimes let the consequences themselves be the teachers. And other times the Bible says that he will in fact bring the consequences he disciplines those whom he, he loves, right? Regardless of the situation, you put yourself in. You put yourself in. God is simply waiting for you to come back to him. If my kids fall off the deep end spiritually, which I pray will never happen, yet if they call, I will come running. No matter what. If they need me, I will be here. No questions. Even now, as young kids, at the moment of their disobedience, when they do the very opposite of what I want them to do, when they run and when they hide, even at that moment, I love my children. There's nowhere, nothing they can do to escape my love for them. And that's what God is like. That is what God is like. So let me start kind of wrapping this up. Prophets did not choose the word of the Lord. They didn't sign up and take a class and say, I'm going to be a prophet when I grow up. And they didn't have options. God selected them. And every prophet, as you look through a scripture, had a strong sense of destiny they were doing what god called them to do as his servants as his servants 
And this holds true for you and me today. I believe that God has a destiny and a purpose for each and every one of you who is in Christ Jesus. God has a plan and a destiny. Here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. Few things are more important for Christians than to have a conscious sense of God's destiny, of God's plan. We are called to be His servants in the world. And that's the last major thing that I want to kind of land on today. Where has God called you? And I want that to kind of linger for a little bit in you. Where has God called you? Have you ever really thought about it? Really? Have you ever really thought about it? And I'm going to do, some of you who are parents, or I think all of us have experienced this and have even kind of, it's in our Christian lingo, I'm going to do a little push. We've been groomed since an early age to think life is our life to do with whatever we want to do, right? That's what we've been groomed to do. And so we even ask our children this question. See if you've been guilty of this. What do you want to do when you grow up? Okay, how many have ever been asked that or asked that regularly? Uh-huh. I'm going to dare say that that's probably a bad question. Okay, listen. The question ought to be, what does God want you to be when you grow up? Do you hear the subtle difference? What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a veterinarian. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a this. I want to be a that. How about what does God want you to be? Or where does God want you to go? Instead of where do you want to go? Well, I, I really like the city, or I really like this state, or I really love the mountains, or I really like this. Where does God want you to go? Acts 17.26 says this, And he, God, made one man, every nation, God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted spot, periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God says, listen, here's a certain period and I'm going to put these people in the, these certain spots and these certain times to do this certain work. God has determined and destined a place for you to be where you should serve him and where to, how to serve his people. Do you know where God wants you to serve him? Really? And where he wants you to do that? How, how to serve him and where to do it? Don't just do your own thing. Struggle and wrestle and fight and get counsel and pray and think and weigh and do your best to discern the calling of God in your life. Read scripture. Hear how God wires the human heart to listen and obey and to follow these leadings. Sometimes I think that the average church attender thinks that it's only preachers or pastors who get callings. In fact, there's whole ordination and special services for preachers and elders and deacons, right? Maybe, maybe what we should do is every time you discern God's calling for you, we have a special service. 
Because all of us have it. Ephesians 4 says that everyone gets called and everyone gets gifted. And you have a calling on your life. The question is whether or not you know it and are obeying it. Some of, some of you have plans. Listen to this. Some of you have plans that you need to abandon. Just absolutely abandon Some of you need to take the risk and rise up and embrace what you know God is calling you to. Here's the deal. We live in the greater Lincoln Way area. And I believe, and we believe very strongly since day one, just so you know, I think tomorrow is our seventh birthday as a church. God has planted us here. And we believe that God has called us here and meant us to do this church start, to reach this very area for Christ. We need you. We need each other. God is doing some stuff amongst us, and it's exciting, and we could use a hand. So here's my pitch. Whenever you are planning, whatever time you're planning on being in this Lincoln Way area, I'm going to challenge you, double it. Some of you go, oh, that screws everything. But what about this? What about... It's just a challenge, okay? It's not an authoritative word of God. But I just want to challenge you. Double it. If you're going to be here a year, stay two. If you're going to be here for two, stay for four. If it's five, stick around for ten. Some of you are meant to be in the Lincoln Way area as lifers. The reason I'm saying this is because it often takes time to reach out to what God has called you to do. It takes time. So in the meantime, let us teach you and let us help you and grow you into a godly, spirit-empowered person who can become equipped to go and be whatever God has called you to, to be in whatever context it is. And here's the last thing. Jesus. You cannot talk about the word of the Lord and God's calling and be biblical without talking about Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen the glo- His glory, the glory as of the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoke to us by His Son. This is just a small sampling. The point is, wherever we go, whatever we do, wherever God has called us to, we know this. Jesus is the Word of God. And that is the most clear thing that we know and whatever He has called us to is that Jesus is it. Him we proclaim. Him we display for the world to see. It is about Jesus. The one thing that we can know for sure is that God has called us to His Son. And God has called us to believe in Him and to to love Him and to follow Him and to listen and obey. You see, the truth is that we need the Word of the Lord. Bad. We need it badly. But we've rejected it. We've ignored it. In one way or another, at various times and points in our lives, and for some of you, you may just even right now be in a total state of rejection. 
just say, no, I don't want to follow. And if there's a theme to this whole sermon today, I hope that you pick it up that we need to hear and to be under God's word. And I've thrown out a lot of information. And my concern is that um, I just don't want you to be informationally blessed. I don't want you to go, oh, I know about 10 more things about uh, Jonah. I know that, oh, did you know he traveled from Joppa and was trying to go to this hard T word over there, Tarshish? And it's 2,500 miles away. It's at the northern, southern tip of Spain. Did you know that? Oh, did you know that this is how prophets work? I, I don't want you just to have information. I want us to go beneath the surface with you. And I want you to hear the gospel this morning. Hear this, that not listening and being under God's word is not just bad, it is detrimental. That's what the Bible calls a sin. And we've all done that and we continue to do it and it is a big deal. And contrary to many uh, theologians that are out there today, that there is a real hell and there is a real destination, a geographical point where our souls will go if we desert our Lord and run away from Him. And God deserves justice. His holiness is, is real And our disobedience is against the holiness of God. And defying the God of the universe is no small thing, even in our running. Yet that doesn't mean that God isn't loving. And just because there are consequ the consequences of hell, God is loving. And God, in love, did something about this. He, he sent His Son, the Word in flesh, for us. And Jesus sat under the Bible his whole life, perfectly listening, perfectly obeying every single word, never sinning, never deserving any punishment, never deserving the wrath of God for anything that he ever did. But when he came into the world with a calling and a destiny, he came to die for his people. He came to die for you. So Jesus lives a life that you and I failed at failed at and then he goes to the cross and dies the death that we deserve for rejecting and ignoring the word made flesh and then he rises again and that's the good news of the gospel that jesus dies for sin and then gives us new life and when you realize that, when you believe that, and when the, this really gets a hold of you, you really believe that you're a sinner, and you really believe that you deserve hell, and you really realize that God died for you in love, there is no better news that changes you. And this is not just some sentimentality. It is the present reality for those of us who believe in Christ Jesus. And you know what happens when that change occurs? It makes you soft. It makes you soft. All of a sudden, the level of resistance in you against God's word changes, and it makes you teachable, and it makes you hungry. The word of God becomes like a song to your soul, and you just cannot get enough.
Jonah is an amazing book. But what is most amazing about it is that it consistently butts up against the mercy and judgment of God. And that's what the Word of God always does. Jeremiah 23, 29 says that the Word of God is like a hammer. It's a hammer that breaks the rock of our hearts and it breaks it into pieces. My prayer is that you will allow the Word of God to break you today. And throughout this this series. And if you won't allow yourself to be broken, you'll never see how truly beautiful and amazing and glorious the God of this book is. So we're going to receive the Lord's Supper here in a moment. And here's how I'd come come at it today. Remember that Jesus is the God who allowed himself to be broken for you. His body, his blood shed on the cross so that we may be changed and healed. So that we can be restored. So we are going to come to this table in this way and say, Oh God, speak your word to me and thank you for the word that has been spoken in your blood. Speak your word to me. Speak it to me, Lord. May I hear it and may I obey it. And thank you for the word that was spoken in your blood. In the blood of Christ, we have peace. Peace with God. There's none like Jesus. There's none like the word of the gospel. So we are going to come and receive and be blessed by the Lord.